The following audio is from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information about Park Church is available online at parkchurchdenver.org. Good morning, Park Church. Today's reading is Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Of David, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Good morning. My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. It's really good to be with you all. Uh, Summers really are one of my favorite times of year here at Park Church because we return rhythmically to the Psalms. Uh, While every Psalm is A very good thing. Uh, Some psalms stand out, and Psalm 103 is one of those psalms. It has a special place in my heart. Uh, I love the way that Spurgeon describes this psalm. He says this, As in the lofty Alps some peaks rise above all others, so among even the inspired psalms there are heights of song which overtop the rest. This 103rd psalm has ever seemed to us to be the Monte Rosa of the divine chain of mountains of praise, glowing with a ruddier light than any of the rest. There is too much in the psalm for a thousand pens to write. It is one of those all-comprehending scriptures, which is a Bible in itself, and it might alone almost suffice for the hymn book 
of the church. Isn't that a great description of this psalm? Uh, Before we do jump into Psalm 103, I want to give you a little bit of background about this psalm. David is its author. While all psalms fit kind of into a lump sum of like what is called a poetry genre of literature, there are sub-genres that fit under poetry. And so last week we looked at Psalm 102, which was a psalm of lament. And then this week we look at Psalm 103, which is called a hymn. It's a hymn. Hymns typically have three elements to them. They begin with some form of a call to worship. Then it moves on for giving the reason for this praise, which consists in the bulk of the psalm. And then it has additional or concludes with additional calls to praise. Uh, Within this genre, Psalm 103 is like a textbook hymn. It has all three elements, very clear, all pronounced. This might be weird imagery, but think of Psalm 103 like a sandwich. It starts and ends with a call to worship, functioning as bookends for the psalm, but the meat of the psalm is spent recounting the ways that God just displayed his massive love toward his people. So before we jump into the psalm, let's pray. We need his help today, Um, so let's do just that. Father, uh, as we sing, uh, Lord, we need you, we say we need you now. Lord, we need you. We need your wisdom. We need your guidance. We need your insight. We need your strength to even know how to apply this psalm and live it out. We ask that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. Let these things be wonderful. Let these things delight our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. All right, well, we're going to rapid fire our way through this psalm. I'm going to make Three main points about this psalm, so everybody get ready. Uh, Point number one. Though we were created to bless, blessing God takes effort. Though we were created to bless, blessing God takes effort. So right away in verse one, what do we read? Bless the Lord. The word bless is a bit of a churchy word. It might come with some, a little bit of baggage. People use the hashtag bless to kind of do like a humble brag on social media. It's also super weird when you start talking about blessing God who is already doing pretty well. He doesn't really need our blessing, does he? Right? What is bless? The word bless in Hebrew is barak, which means to praise, to speak well of, to speak favorably of, to tell of his worth and value. The interesting thing is this, that blessing isn't just a spiritual activity for people in a church, but rather it's a human activity that we do all the time instinctively. We praise the mountains, we bless great architecture, a new TV show or book that we're enjoying, we talk to other people about, we enjoy a sports game, an amazing meal, or a cup of coffee. Praise is in our DNA. C.S. Lewis uh, writes this in his book on the Psalms that really captures the heart of this point. He says this, The most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or the giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise or blessing. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses, readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, players praising their favorite game. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes 
the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. We were created to bless. To be human is to be a blesser. Now here is the twist. Though we were created to bless, if you're a Christian, if you follow Jesus and you've lived a day or two in life, you know that blessing God doesn't always come easily, does it? It's not automatic. How do we know this? Well, let's look at verse one again. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Who is David talking to in verse one? He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. We find some call to worship directing it to other people. And yet this one, David is directing it at his own soul. He's saying, soul, bless the Lord. Though David was created to bless God, Though he was called a man after God's own heart, there was also clearly some resistance for him blessing the Lord. I think often when I think of David, I think of him getting up in the morning and just like almost instinctively speaking flowery praise to God as he lives his day, right? That's not the way it was. That was not the case. We don't know what the cause of the resistance is or was, it might be disappointment. It might be depression for us today. Sometimes we're too busy to even slow down. It might be distraction. We might be self-medicating ourselves. We might be sitting in our sin and enjoying that sin more than we want to enjoy God. Other times, we might just be in a weird season, a dark night of the soul. There's a sense of God's absence, but we don't know why. We don't think we've done anything overt. And we're saying, God, where are you? Regardless of what's keeping us from blessing God, we have a vital lesson to learn from David here in this psalm. David could have sat about idly, kind of waiting for God to inspire him, waiting for inspiration to hit him, but he didn't. He knew that there was work to be done. Now I have a car and my car battery is going out and so I would drive it to different places and occasionally the car battery would just die. So whenever my car would die, I had a choice to make in that time. I had two options in front of me. Option A, I could just sit about passively and say, man, I really think that when it's the right time, my car is going to miraculously revive itself and start working again, right? The battery is going to charge itself. Or option B, I could say, man, there's work to be done. I need to find some jumper cables. I need to lift the hood of my car. I need to attach them to my battery. I need to attach them to somebody else's battery that actually has some juice. And in turn, my car will have life again. It will start functioning again. David knew that when it comes to the worship of God, passivity isn't an option. He wasn't just sitting around waiting for inspiration to strike him. In that place of difficulty, David does something. What does he do? He engages in some good old-fashioned self-talk. He speaks to his soul. The word for soul in Hebrew is nefesh. In Hebrew, one's soul was a representation of one's whole self. When David was talking to his soul, David was talking to David. He was calling out his entire being to rise. He says, all that is within me, bless his holy name. Think of this call to your soul as jump-starting your car. You're positioning and jump-starting your heart, saying, heart, wake up, bless the Lord, even though you know that the true power to do this only comes from God. Notice also that David didn't speak to his soul once, right? He's like, bless the Lord, my soul. Okay, it didn't happen. I'm, I'm, I'm moving on, right? He speaks to his soul again and again and again. Three times in the first two verses, then once again in the last verse. Repetition is a key practice in our faith. 
Think of this self-talk almost like an alarm clock. I know that some of you have different strategies with your alarm clock. Some of you guys like set it too early because you know that you're going to hit snooze a few times, right? But regardless of the way you do it, eventually you want the alarm to wake you up so that you can do the things that you had intended to do when you set the alarm right? You need to wake up, right? And that's what David was doing, using the self-talk saying, soul, wake up and bless the Lord. Just because it's hard or he has to do it multiple times does not mean that he shouldn't do it. It doesn't mean that he's bad at it. It doesn't mean that he's a fake. Part of what it means to be a human in a fallen, broken world is to call out to our own souls and say, soul, it's time to wake up, wake up, wake up. Do what you were created to do. Did you know that there's always an internal dialogue going on within you? There's always an internal dialogue happening. Someone once said that we're great at listening to ourselves, but we're terrible at speaking to ourselves. We're great at listening to ourselves, but we're terrible at speaking to ourselves. This is precisely what David is trying to teach us to do. Point number two. In order to bless, we must remember the blesser and his blessings. In order to bless, we must remember the capital B, blesser and his blessings. We don't just conjure up worship in a vacuum via emotional manipulation or saying the right words or lighting a candle or putting on some music, even though those things might help. We must remember that worship is always a response to a real person. We are never in the role of initiators. God always is prevenient. He is always prior. He is the first blesser. He is the true benefactor. He loved us first. He sought us first. And we, in turn, must respond to him. In verse 2, David repeats the call to bless the Lord, but he finishes the phrase with a call to forget not his benefits. To forget not or don't forget his benefits. What's the opposite of forgetting? It's to remember, right? David understands that all of us deal with what Paul David Tripp calls gospel amnesia. We're professional amnesiacs. We are quick to forget who God is and who we are and the world that we're living in. In order to learn to bless God, we must learn to remember God. The word remember is an interesting word. To remember is to reattach oneself to particular truths, to particular stories that give purpose and meaning to our life. Dallas Willard said this, the process of spiritual formation in Christ is one of progressively replacing destructive ideas and images with the images and ideas that filled the mind of Jesus himself. Spiritual formation in Christ moves toward a total interchange of our ideas and images for his. It's to take on the mind of Christ. Let me try to be clear here. A vibrant life of blessing flows out of remembering the blesser and not forgetting his benefits. Don't forget his benefits. If all we do is to command our soul, saying, soul, bless God, without ever giving our soul the reason why, without focusing on God's work for us, his love for us, we will fall flat on our faces. Back to our analogy of this psalm, being like a sandwich. Imagine you go over to a friend's house, 
and then they offer you to make you a sandwich around lunchtime, right? And you're like pretty hungry, so you're like, great, I'm game. Bring on the sandwich, right? And then they come out, but they put a plate in front of you, and instead of this solid sandwich, you have two dry pieces of bread. How would you respond, right? Well, you'd probably say, this isn't a sandwich. These are two dry pieces of bread. Where is the sandwich? Let me make this point. If all we do is tell our soul to bless God, but never give the reasons for that blessing, our worship will be lackluster and dry like those two pieces of bread. We need the content of the sandwich. We need to know the life of God and his, and his motion toward us. This is probably an overgeneralization, but I think you can divide the world into two kinds of people. There are those who make lists and those who don't make lists. My wife is for sure a list person. If we're going on a trip, she starts her list. She starts adding all the things she needs to pack on the trip. Uh, she has her grocery list. Uh, she has her daily to-do list. And after reading this psalm, it's pretty clear that David is a list person as well. Uh, in the rest of this psalm, we find him making a couple lists of remembrance, if you will. So uh, two lists. The first list is found in verses three through five. This list is uh, short and sweet. It's fast and furious. It's a power-packed power list full of participles of the ways that God has personally been faithful to David. God had forgiven him. God had healed him, redeemed him, crowned him, satisfied him. And I was overwhelmed because you could take an infinite amount of time of each one of these phrases, but David almost lists them off like he's building a case for his own soul to bless God. He's reminding his forgetful soul of the ways that God has treated him. How does God treat me? Let me rehearse that. Let me remember that. So if you follow the progression from the beginning to the end of the list, it's almost staggering. Apart from God, David stood as a sinner. He stood diseased. He, he was in a pit. He was naked. He was hungry. And as God meets David, God brings about forgiveness. God brings about healing. God pulls him out of the pit that David was in. But then when he gets him out of the pit, God isn't done, is he? He could have, he could have just been like, all right, hey, David, uh, go get him, tiger. Uh, good luck on this trip. You know, I got you out of the pit. Now you're good to go. What does God do? God pulls him out of the pit and he marches him to his palace. There's a coronation service. He places a crown on his head. He says, you are royalty. He doesn't stop there. Then he takes him to his table and he says, he satisfies him with good. He, he gives him food. And so David's energy is renewed like the eagle. It's dumbfounding. It sounds very similar to a story that Jesus told about the prodigal son who left his father's home. And when he came home, his father ran to him. His father ran to him and said, I'm covering you with my robe. I'm putting this ring on your fingers. I love you. I'm going to throw a feast for you. Let's all celebrate that my, my son was lost, but now he is found. As we rehearse this story in Psalm 103, it's our story as well. What's your response? What's your response to this God? Is it one of gratitude? Is it one of... Of, of praising him? Doesn't blessing for God start bubbling within your heart naturally? Don't you want to just say, God, if that's me, thank you. It can't be me. Thank you, God. The amazing thing is that David's not done. He starts his next list uh, in verses 6 through 19. This is a lengthier list. This list is a, is a list of remembrance. It's a rehearsal of God's corporate faithfulness to Israel 
through the Exodus story, but also beyond. He starts off with remembering in verse 6 that God works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. The literal verb used is God does righteousness and justice. God does righteousness and justice because God is righteous and God is just. His actions flow out of who he is. These attributes of God should be very informative to us, particularly in this season of this country's history. The church is called to be a just people and a righteous people because we serve a just God and a righteous God who work on behalf of the oppressed. Chiefly, David had Israel in mind when they were oppressed and enslaved for over 400 years in Egypt. God didn't look at their oppression and stay silent, but God worked. He was in motion in response to their prayers. He did something about it. Verse 7 tells us he made known his ways to Moses and his acts to Israel. God did something about their oppression. He did righteous deeds and just deeds. In verse 8, David references God's self-revelation in Exodus 34, which actually might be the most referenced passage in the entire Bible. Tim Mackey of the Bible Project describes uh, this passage as the John 3.16 of the Hebrew Bible. At the core of God's name is God's character, what God is like. And that's precisely what David keeps getting at. He keeps pointing us back to his name, to the way that God is towards us. What God's name is, is the way that God acts toward us. God is consistently loving toward his people. He follows us up with saying, God will not always chide. This word chide is, is a form of legal accusation, making a case against someone. So he's saying, God won't bring a formal case against you, child of God. He won't hold on to his anger forever. Why doesn't he deal with us according to our sins? Why doesn't he repay us according to our iniquities? Well, to answer this, he uses another form of, of poetry. He, he, he employs the use of similes. So first in verse 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. So what's his point in the simile? His love is immeasurable. You can't take out a tape measure and measure how high the heavens are above the earth. That's the point. You can't count his love. Second, in verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. What's this point? God's forgiveness is complete. He's not keeping our sins in a secret drawer, hoping to pull them out at the right time in the middle of an argument to kind of throw those in our face and say, look what you used to do. That's not his point. He removes them from us as far as the East is from the West. One person put it this way. We remember what we should forget and we forget what we should remember. We are great at forgetting who God is and who we are. And we're also great at remembering our sins. We need to learn to treat our sin the way that God does. They've been removed from us. Don't bring them back home with you as if God hadn't forgiven you. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed your transgressions from you. Third simile in verse 13, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. What's the point of this one? The word for compassion means to feel passion with someone. Come passion, with passion. 
to enter sympathetically into one's sorrow and pain. This word is about empathy. It's about emotional engagement and presence. God is eternally present with us. So three postures, a God who's infinitely loving, a God who's completely forgiving, and a God who isn't distant, but thoroughly and emotionally engaged. Why wouldn't you want to bless this kind of God? David still isn't done. Verse 14 tells us that God knows our frame and remembers that we are dust. He remembers that we are dust. Though we are so quick to forget him, God always remembers us. He knows our disposition. He knows our difficulties. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our frailty, both with regard to sin, but also with regard to our own mortality. Life is here and then gone. This is precisely where David seeks to land his plane in the second list. He contrasts our finitude and our frailty with God's eternality and his steadfast love. We may be shaken. Our world can feel like it's turned upside down, which it really does. If you think about 2020, it feels like it's completely turned upside down. What in the world is happening? God sits safely and securely on his throne. He's not sitting wide-eyed in a passenger seat, like holding on to that stabilizing bar, freaking out, right? His kingdom rules overall, even now, even now. How do these truths hit your heart today? Do they help you see God? Do they do something inside of you? Does the second list stir something in your heart? Do you realize this story of the Exodus, of Israel coming out of slavery, is the story of Christianity, This is what God has done for us in his son. This leads us to the third and final point that we find in verses 20 through 22. There is a cosmic choir that's blessing God and we're invited to join in. There is a cosmic choir that's blessing God and we are invited to join in. David issues another call to worship like he did at the beginning. This is kind of the second slice of bread that tops off the sandwich. This call to worship is directed not to a soul, but to a cosmos. Not to a soul, but to a cosmos. He calls out to angels, to the heavenly hosts, and to all the works of God to bless him. What was initially focused in on a small part is now focused on the entire creation. All are invited into this cosmic choir called to bless God. This isn't a solo performance. This is a multitude joining in together. It's a reminder that the gospel of Jesus isn't merely for individuals, but it's a massive one that includes the whole world. In the words of Colossians 1.20, uh, through Jesus, God is reconciling all things unto himself, whether on earth or in heaven. This reconciliation is humans, but it's so much more than humans. It's all creation, oceans, trees, stars, animals, mountains. All are doing what they were created to do. So what's in this for us? I want to look at the last verse. It says, bless the Lord all his works in all places of his dominion. And then this last line, it sounds familiar, doesn't it? Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. After zooming out and seeing all of creation invited in, He speaks to his soul again. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Do what you were created to do. Take your place, small as it may be, but bless his name. I don't know where your heart is at right now. If blessing God comes easily right now or it might feel like a foreign language, we want to call our souls and train our souls to bless him. It's possible. 
So we're actually going to do that right now. We're going to do what David has called us to do. We're going to call out our souls and say, bless the Lord's soul. One author said it this way, if you find your heart cold, then do what David did and count your blessings. So we're going to do things a little bit differently. We're going to end a little bit differently. Uh, We're going to put up David's initial uh, list from Psalm 103, verses 3 through 5. And we're just going to take time to meditate on those realities. I want you to read those things and actually ask God, saying, God, help me bless you through those things. As I see those things, let me believe that those things are true. Call your soul to bless him.